0: Advent is a season of waiting, of preparing, of hoping. Each Sabbath, we listen to the prophets from old. We light candles. We expect the coming of Christ. Listen for a word from God in Isaiah chapter 1. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from his roots. The Lord's Spirit will rest upon him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of planning and strength a spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. He will delight in fearing the Lord. He won't judge by appearance nor decide by hearsay. He will judge the needy with righteousness and decide with equity for those who suffer in the land. He will strike the violence with the odd rod of his mouth. By the breath of his lips, he will kill the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt around his hips and faithfulness the belt around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and the little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze. their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on the holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the watcher covers the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation will seek them out, and his dwelling will be glorious. The Word of God. May this light point us to the coming light of Christ. This, this is a Christmas cactus, and it's been in our family for about 150 years. It came from a great-grandmother, and all of the relatives have a clipping from this cactus. In fact, all of the siblings and the, the uh, cousins, the youngest member of the family, who's not even to this holiday, even she has part of this cr- Christmas cactus growing in her house, 150 years old. This Christmas cactus, however, I'll come back to it in a moment, it, it happens to trouble me. You just heard a, reason, a reading from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. The Christian faith community reads prophets during Advent. These weeks leading up to Christmas, we call them Advent while we are anticipating and longing for and waiting for the coming of Christ. For centuries, Christians read the prophets before Christmas. A few hundred years after Jesus actually lived on this earth, Christians hit rewind on the story. Rewind, from the babe born in Bethlehem, they reached for the prophets, insisting that we read prophets right alongside Matthew and Luke, that somehow something is to be gained by reading Malachi and Zephaniah and Micah and Isaiah in December. Early Christians, they chose to absorb images from the prophets before celebrating the birth of Jesus. It's kind of like eating your vegetables before dessert. The fiery stuff first. Seems appropriate in 2020, the year Advent meets pandemic. Millions of Christians around the world, thousands of Christians here in Riverside, that will listen to the prophet Isaiah this December. So in solidarity, we sit alongside and listen as well. We are far from the Bethlehem stable, but we are so close to the Bethlehem story. Rather than harvest the promises of Isaiah for our own purposes, I invite you to hear them as real life for real people who live inside a collapsing story. Can we read these promises first for the people living in that time, not primarily for people living in end times? One familiar promise from Isaiah we will read each week. In fact, the Nicholson family, they just read for us our passage for today, Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. If you have a Bible, this is a great time to open it. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse. A branch will sprout from its roots. The prophet Isaiah, one part prophet, one part poet, and he paints this image we don't see often in the middle of a city, a tree stump. So maybe you have one in your yard. Maybe you have one you want removed from your yard. That's about as close as we typically get to a tree stump in our urban setting. The obvious observation, a tree stump used to be a tree. Where there was a tree, only a stump remains. A stump, it's a signal of a life that's over and done. A stump alone, what is it good for, really? For sitting on or jumping off of? A stump signals the end. The future of a stump is to be extracted, kind of like a cranky tooth pulled up and pulled out. What good thing comes from a tree stump? It helps us if we peek back to Isaiah chapter 10 and we catch the closing scene there and see that all the trees have been cut down. They've been leveled by God, the prophet says. The trees, for the poet, represent trouble, nations and powers and privilege pressing down over the people. The trees are all gone. Imagine a day, the prophet Isaiah says, you wake up and the trees are gone. Your troubles are gone. You look out in the forest and all you see are stumps. There is a day coming. You'll you'll not see your oppressor, Assyria, marching towards you for war. Because something new is moving into the neighborhood. Look, there's a sprout, a shoot. The Hebrew word here can also be read as a rod or a scepter, something a king would hold in in his hand. There's a new leader coming out of the line of Jesse. We know Jesse. King David is from Jesse's line. Something's growing, Israel. Something is coming. Someday that troubling forest, it'll be beautiful and safe. If you have a Bible open, Isaiah chapter 11, beginning with verse 2 now, describes what it looks like when the Spirit of the Lord cultivates The next ruler will have God's qualities. The next ruler will bring rest and security and stability. The next ruler brings judgment to evil. The next ruler brings God's care for creation. The next ruler brings peace. And the the scene shifts. It's not tree stump but it's an open field now beginning with verse 6 it's a field of lambs but but there's a wolf a predator is welcomed as a a welcomed stranger actually can you see it Isaiah says it's a field of lambs and and the wolf is welcome that's not wise someone wants to say that's reckless that's foolish You, you want lions next to your cattle or toddlers to play over a viper's nest Isaiah sees this glorious promise of security and peace. Fear of the Assyrian army is met with the presence of God. The next ruler brings the presence of God, the experience of God, the dreams of God. It's not anything like what the earth has seen or what the people have felt. Isaiah speaking to these trampled people who live in a trampled land with hope, with hope for their time and all times. Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? Isaiah says something is coming in our future, then it will transform this very day. Do you see what I see? Do you hear what I hear? No, Isaiah, we see a dead tree stump. Our best days are surely over. In fact, the more serious we take Isaiah's poem, his vision, we might even conclude it's crazy. It's crazy for Isaiah's world, and it's crazy for ours. It's crazy, Isaiah says. What's crazy is what you live with. Crazy is your reality. Crazy is what you endure. Let me tell you about crazy, Isaiah would push back. Don't, don't you love it when someone validates you're crazy? When someone says, I hear you, I see you. You're, in, you're right, this is bad. You're not crazy, this is crazy. Isn't it balm to your soul to be seen and to be heard? Before anyone lifts a finger to rearrange the furniture and fix things to simply know, someone can be our witness. It's a crazy world. The prophet, the poet, Isaiah, means to say that there are better ways to experience our lives rather than allowing this temporary crazy to win operate with what I call situational awareness or with what Richard Rohr calls the naked now, to stand honestly in this present moment and to strip it of its groomings, its internal work, church, to operate with situational awareness or to operate in the naked now. We will all find ourselves in times and spaces when our belief systems will will fail us and our belonging circles aren't quite enough, when our quest for certainty seems silly. I can't be certain about what's for dinner. I can't be certain, let alone, what we'll do for Christmas this year. We come to these internal intersections where we have options. And if it, this sounds a little gibberish to you, stick with me for a moment. Richard Rohr, like all mystics, and even like the prophets, like Isaiah, they have this deep ability, this deep awareness to see and hear and, 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 and name more. It's deep waiting, is what I'm calling it this advent, tapping into a bigger picture. There are really very few total dilemmas, Richard Rohr says about us. There are really very few total dilemmas we are trapped in. We create many dilemmas because we're internally stuck and we're attached and we over-identify with our position and we're fearful and, and we need to win the case. There are very few total dilemmas. Huh. Thanks, Mary Poppins. Really? Richard Rohr? Really? Because, like, this week, while I'm on a virtual meeting with Isaiah open right next to my laptop, my phone begins to ring and the text messages begin to vibrate and the teapot's whistling and there's a dog fight in the street and, and my brain is catching up to the situation when it finds my body in the middle of the street in between three dogs. <laughs> I come inside and I listen to the voicemail on my phone to learn of a fraud alert for our identity, Kirby and me. Someone who's been arrested? What? There are very few total dilemmas. I mean, that was simply Wednesday morning. Really, Friar Roar? Because life feels like this right now. Friends, you feel in the details from your life. It feels like this right now. So we operate with a situational awareness, the prophet Isaiah would counsel. I invite you and yours these weeks of Advent into into a situational awareness. See what we see and name what we see. This is what Advent is for. And we can be honest this year, Advent is unusual. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of Christmas festivities. It's not the end of Christmas as we know it. This is simply the year we're navigating global pandemic. So we operate with situational awareness or deep waiting or inside the naked now, Roar would say. And there we'll find the prophet Isaiah from centuries ago saying, Hello, 2020 you've got friends who walked this path before you you've got family it's not the assyrian army for you so go ahead and label your trees your evil your oppression what is it label it give it names identify your reality oh it's loneliness and isolation and depression and grief we would say to isaiah and 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 yes go ahead name your crop label your your sprouts and while we're doing so remember it's not a race it's not a comparison game. It's not an exercise to minimize your reality, nor does this homily end with me saying, we can do hard things because sometimes we can't and sometimes hard things break us. Talk to Isaiah, his entire community, they didn't make it out together. When I say we have resources for times like these, I'm saying open the Bible and listen to our ancestors read their stories. Our situation this month this month, it's not so different from Isaiah so long ago. Remember that the role of a prophet is first and primarily not to predict the future. It's to call people back to God, to call people back to a deep waiting alongside God. What, what is it we're waiting for during Advent? Because deep waiting, this internal work, is active work. Inherent in the DNA and God's story and with God's children, inherent with our story with God is is the grace for this long haul. We've been given grace for the long haul. We're in it for the long haul. While we crave immediate gratification, we are really people of the long haul. Romans 8 reminds us, we know the whole creation has been groaning as with pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption, sons and daughters, and the redemption of our body. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope. Who hopes for what they already have, the Apostle Paul says. If we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. The Apostle Paul, the prophet Isaiah, they tell us all. Our days of unhoping are over. Advent is for deep waiting. Look within these next weeks. Look for refining opportunities. Look around and take inventory. And look beyond and imagine God's promised world. It is possible. Isaiah is teaching the people to be steady even as they feel shaky. Your crisis is real, he says. Your God is, too. One of the great resources we have available to us, all of us, is checking in with people who've lived before. While we're sheltering at home over the holidays, here's something we could all do. Call up the aging ones in your family and ask them to tell you again, tell tell you for the first time maybe about the times in their life they felt shaky. Ask them to tell you a story and hit record and listen Ask them what what gave you strength to make it through those times? What gave you hope? How did you navigate? What, what did you do for fun and for laughter and to break up the monotony? Ask the aging ones in your life. What steadied you when you felt shaky? Tell me a story. We are all surrounded by strength we may not even know. This, this is a Christmas cactus. This has been in our family for 150 years. It's not as quite as old as Isaiah's community, but it's old for my community. I hardly walk by this cactus without grunting at it because this is a cactus that refuses to blossom. And I'm not much for succulents. This cactus uh, refuses to blossom at least where it lives in Southern California. For the Oberg side of the family, let me tell you a story because I think of these stories when I look at this cactus. In 1867 and 1868 and 1869, a great famine hits the land, Sweden. The potato blight, the potato famine is devastating. It kills many, and it causes mass migration. One chap named PC Oberg comes as an 18-year-old to America. And he moves to Nebraska, because in Nebraska, the conditions are similar for farming as back home in Sweden. PC finds a good Swedish girl. Years later, his son Frederick finds a good German girl to marry. Edna is her name. They don't speak the same language, but they share some language in common because they have 11 children. (laughs) They have 11 children living in Nebraska when the drought hits in the 1930s. So the family moves because they won't survive. They move to Oregon Frederick dies after the last children are born, a set of twins named Dilmer and Daisy, who never really met their father. He dies because someone gave him a wrong medication for his asthma. Edna has now 11 children to raise. Because she can't afford to feed all of these mouths, some of the oldest children go to work early to support the family. Some of the children are, quotes, farmed out. Interesting metaphor for a farming family, but they farm out their children to other households. One was hired as a worker. Calvin is one of those. At age 16, he moves a few farms over to help a widow. Calvin has already survived rheumatic fever as a child. He can surely survive this leaving home and going to work as a domestic, but this will impact his life forever. At age 19, he enlists himself in the army. It's 1943. Knowing he'll be drafted, he volunteers so that he has some choice of his service options, and he becomes an army paratrooper. It sounded like one of the better options to him, he joins the airborne infantry, the 82nd Airborne, and he serves two years during World War II. His tales are too many to count, and too, too traumatic to share. He spent most of his life losing uh, he spent most of his life keep, keeping these war stories to himself. Once in Germany, he fell from exhaustion during the war. They thought he'd been shot, so they left him. They removed his ID badges and they sent them home to his mother. They reported him as missing and sent her a telegram she opened, letting her know her child was dead. He actually woke up that day in Germany and crawled on his hands and feet to a military hospital. Or he has stories from the Battle of the Bulge with the 102nd Airborne and the 82nd Airborne in a big tale we've read about many times in our history lessons. Calvin describes what it's like to see the tanks coming and to shoot bazookas at the tanks and try to blow the tracks off the bottom of the tanker to to disable their movement. It's the only way, the only hope to, uh, to go against a tanker. Another time he jumped into a foxhole and he was pushed out because there was no room. So he jumped into the next foxhole over just as ammunition exploded, blew up the entire foxhole and he watched his friends die. He served with great delight in Eisenhower's guard, greeting Eisenhower day by day by day. He traded his cigarettes for other rations since he didn't smoke. He brought home a German sword, one of those, one of those uh, war toys he bought home. He traded it for a bunch of cigarettes. and he, he, bought home, he brought home a set of books that they found decades later in the garage, books he never opened. It was a volume on World War II. "'Why did you never open this, Dad? "'Why would I want to read about that? "'I I lived through it. "'War's never right.'" He's discharged to become a mill worker. He eventually transitions to an internship where he learns how to make orthotics for children to walk, and he spends the remainder of his life with the good people at Shriners Hospital in Portland. He raises a family, and he cherishes those 10 siblings and their quiver full of children from Christenstad, Sweden to Oregon. There's just no amount of Ancestry.com that can tell you these tales. And every time I pass this crazy Christmas cactus that refuses to bloom, I imagine my father-in-law shaped by these chapters of his life. And I imagine my father-in-law who cared for these plants carried by his God. Who he deeply trusted. I picture him trimming the cactus and feeding it and setting it out in the cold Oregon night sky to force new growth. Every year they watched this plant. Will we see a shoot? Will we see it blossom there this year? Will we see those pink crisp little buds? We caught it one year in our house. One year in our house, this cactus did blossom. We screamed and ran, got our cameras with delight, took pictures. The cactus is in bloom. The cactus is in bloom. One year, we did see it. The prophet Isaiah says, a shoot will grow. It'll be a sign to all the nations and all the nations will see God and they will seek God and dwelling with God will be glorious, amen.